Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. We've got a lot to get to on today's episode. If you were hoping to break up the monotony of my voice with the sound of somebody else's voice, keep dreaming because I have a lot I want to talk about. And that's the beauty of having your own podcast is you get to just do whatever you want to do. So we're going to talk some KU football. Could Jalen Daniels be back? Could Spencer Sanders be out? Why is this line so close? Kansas basketball starts this week. Let's do a little primer for the 2023 season. But of course, we're going to start with the self-imposed sanctions that Kansas announced to the IARP on Wednesday. The headline would be four-game suspension to start this year for Bill Self and Curtis Townsend. Both of those guys were off the recruiting trail for four months from April through July. A reduction of four visits, the loss of three scholarships over the next three years, and a six-week ban on recruiting communications. That's the headline there. But all of that's a little useless without proper context as to what it means, how it compares to punishments that other schools in similar situations have received, and how is it ultimately going to impact not just this team, this program, but how is it going to impact whatever other punishments could come officially from the IARP. And why'd they do it now? A day before the beginning of this season, also, suspiciously, not suspiciously, one day before Louisville learned of their ruling from the IARP. So let's just start with there, right? The timing of this. Big picture, you could apply this to any question you have about KU making this announcement on Wednesday. They're not doing this unless they've been advised to do so, right? This has been a five-year process. So while it may seem like the NCAA and the IARP have been sitting on their hands trying to figure out how they want to play this, what the repercussions will be, KU's had time to sort of game plan. And I would imagine they're not doing this a day before the beginning of the season unless they feel like, A, The punishments are not going to be as heavy as they once believed and B, that this could mitigate whatever potential punishments are coming down the line. 
let's back up for a second because in order to properly give you context on what's going on, uh, I want to do a little timeline. And I'm going to move through this as quickly and succinctly as I possibly can because this is a very complicated discussion to have about everything that's going on with KU, the investigation, the NCAA. Uh, but I feel like without proper context, it all just gets kind of muddied up. So I'm going to run through this timeline to sort of illustrate exactly what's been going on the last five years. So it all started in September of 2017. That is when uh, the FBI had that press conference, the Southern District of New York, announcing their probe into college basketball, what they call the bribery scandal. That was September of 2017. A month later, the NCAA formed the Commission on College Basketball, chaired by Condoleezza Rice. Two years later, in October, or excuse me, September of 2019, the NCAA sent their notice of allegations to Kansas. Uh, it was five level one violations, lack of institutional control, head coach responsibility charge. It was heavy. And at that point in time, everybody felt like Kansas was being made an example of and the Bill Self and the Kansas basketball program were going to get railroaded. Not just everybody on the outside believed that. When you go back and look at the response that KU issued when they're talking about the enforcement staff trying to regain control, it was a very, very stern response from Kansas. And Kansas had their feet planted in the ground, looking like they were ready to fight this tooth and nail, not giving up an inch that they had done anything wrong. August of 2019, the NCAA announces the formation of the IARP. So think about this. In two years' time, the NCAA formed the Commission on College Basketball, chaired by Condoleezza Rice. That commission said, hey, we need another committee. Let's, let's do a second committee. That'll fix this. We need more committees. Uh, the IARP, an independent resolutions process, because a lot of schools felt like there were conflict of interest trying to have their cases heard by the NCAA, who was also the governing body that was issuing these penalties, right? They were acting as judge, jury, executioner. It didn't seem fair. Let's get another commission that ought to fix this. July of 2020, Kansas's case was referred to the IARP. In December of 2021, so last winter, two years after the IARP had been around, they finally hand out their first ruling. It was on NC State. And this is a really critical one because you're going to hear a lot about Memphis. You're going to hear a lot about Louisville, other schools, that are having their cases heard by the IARP. NC State's actually the most apt comparison because they, like Kansas, had several level one violations, the most severe type of allegations that you can have from the NCAA. And the, the punishment from the IARP for NC State, they lost one scholarship, they got a four-week ban on recruiting, they got an eight-day reduction in in-person recruiting visits, and they got put on one-year probation. Now, the details are different, but in terms of just uh, surface-level violations, level one violations. This is the best comparison you're going to find for Kansas. And when you look at those punishments, they're actually lighter than the ones that Kansas imposed on themselves. And in their ruling, the IARP said that coaching infractions were mitigated by the university's self-imposed actions, thereby subject to lesser penalties. They gave you the blueprint a year ago. They came out and said that the penalties were less severe because of the self-imposed penalties that NC State had already applied. And that's going to be very, very appropriate here when we get down the line and trying to figure out what's going to come next for Kansas. Then in September of this year, 
The NCAA Board of Directors announced that the IARP will dissolve after the ruling of Kansas and three others. So think about that. In five years' time, the NCAA had formed two committees, one of which is already being dissolved and still has yet to make any sort of official ruling on Kansas's case. The one unifying force in all of this, regardless of if you're a Kansas fan or if you're not, if you just want to see heads roll and Kansas get punished and made an example of, the one unifying force has been that all of this has taken too damn long. And even if you were wringing your hands and hot by this five years ago, it's really tough to stay bothered for that long. You may have rolled your eyes at the punishment that Candace imposed on themselves yesterday, but I can't imagine that you're still bothered by it. If anything, it's just an annoyance and another example of how the NCAA can't really govern the sport that they claim to be in charge of. So now what? What's going to happen down the line? What's going to happen this year? First off, this year, missing four games at the start of the season. Yeah, it sucks. Maybe it slightly decreases your chances of being able to beat Duke in the Champions Classic. But ultimately, this is a nothing burger, right? It's absolutely nothing. It does not impact this Kansas team in any significant way. Missing your coach for the first four games of a regular season is not going to significantly impact where this team could possibly be by the postseason or by conference season, quite frankly. It's not going to stunt the development of some of these young players. It's not as if Norm Roberts hasn't been on the sidelines for the past decade with Bill Self. For this season, for this team, it doesn't impact them. As for what it means moving forward, the one extenuating circumstance, the one thing that sticks in my head as to why the IARP might still be looking at Kansas to say, we need more, we want more blood, is the fact that Bill Self and Curtis Townsend are still employed at Kansas. All the other cases that the IARP is seeing, if you go through them, Oklahoma State, Arizona, NC State, Louisville, those coaches that were implicated are gone now. Kansas still has Bill Self and Curtis Townsend. And if I, were the, if I were the body that was handing out punishments, I would say, I don't care about the team. I'm not going to punish a bunch of kids that were 12 and 13 years old when these violations were initially committed. But I want to punish the guys who I ultimately think is responsible for them. That would be Bill Self. That would be Curtis Townsend. I would still be looking for heads to roll. Now, granted, the stuff that they were doing, the rules that they committed... And today, in 2022, wouldn't even be a rule violation because you wouldn't need to pay players under the table through Adidas. You would just do it through NIL. I mean, think about this for example. This whole thing, this whole investigation into Kansas is over an alleged $90,000 payment made to Billy Preston's mother. Vahe Gregorian of the Kansas City Star had this, that Grady Dick in his freshman year at Kansas is set to make in what is the equivalent of $177,000 in his freshman season at Kansas. $90,000 is nothing. So that's why it's really interesting to try and figure out what the IARP is going to do and how much they should actually even care about this investigation anymore. I compared it to somebody yesterday. It's like saying, okay, if, if you committed a theft, I could go back and look at the 10 million thefts that were committed over the last decade in the United States, and I could use all those different cases and all those different sentencing to try and figure out what's going to happen to you. But imagine that, except there's only one other person who's ever committed theft. Oh, and by the way, 
theft isn't even illegal anymore. That's what it's like trying to figure out what's going to happen to Kansas now. I don't know how much the IARP should care about this. And I think it's really tough five years down the line to handle something with the same level of importance or urgency as you would have five years ago. I still don't think this is over. I think by the end of the year, I mean, it, I've heard conflicting reports, right? Jeff Goodman of Stadium said that he thinks uh, there won't be any ruling until after the season. The NCAA won't make an official ruling until after the year. Other people have said that they wouldn't be surprised if Bill Self took a postseason ban this year. I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen. I know in the past, the IARP has tried to get this stuff out of the way in the offseason. It shouldn't come as any surprise that we saw two rulings leading up to the season, including Louisville, just earlier on Thursday. But whether it comes this year, next year, postseason ban, half-season suspension, remember one thing, Kansas won. Kansas played this right. There is nothing that the NCAA or the IARP that can come down with. There is no negative that can outweigh the positives of winning the national championship. There's nothing. They got hit on the recruiting trail. It hindered their ability to get top-tier recruits. Doesn't matter. Got a banner to show for it. Nothing's going to take that away. Nothing. And Kansas dictated the terms of this the entire time. Going back to five years ago, when the FBI started their investigation, claiming that schools were defrauded, so Kansas waved their hands in the air and said, oh, you're investigating us? By the way, we're the victims here. And of course, everybody rolled their eyes. But they didn't give an inch. They refused to admit that they had done anything wrong. And even though there were a lot of people, even Kansas fans, that didn't believe them, it was important to play it that way because at the time, there was so much changing in college basketball and so much changing in how rules were enforced that they decided to just sort of wait it out. And that proved to be the smart move. Now that you see that the IARP, this committee that is actually handing out the punishments, was formed and dissolved before they even ruled on the Kansas case. And in seeing this whole thing sort of coming to an end and seeing how the IARP hasn't been as strict with punishments as the NCAA was when they were handling these types of cases, Kansas realizes that the punishments that are coming, whatever they may be, they're going to be a lot less harsh than they originally believed five years ago when this whole thing began. They played hardball until they figured out how it was going to play out. And realized, okay, we can give an inch now. We can negotiate. We're willing to take a few punishment, punishments, a slap on the wrist, knowing that we are going to come out ahead when this whole thing ends. Knowing that our reputation isn't going to take the hit that maybe we thought it was going to take three years ago. KU played this one to a T. They won, and nothing's going to change that. All right, so as for the actual basketball side of this, as for this year's Kansas basketball team, uh, you know who you lost. Ochai, CB, Remy, Dave, all gone. You have Jalen and Dewan back, and then it's sort of this nice, healthy mix of guys who were role players last year who will have the opportunity to increase their roles and a really talented freshman class. This is the best class that Bill Self has had in Kansas since the 2019 class with Devon Dotson and McCormick and Quentin Grimes. Uh, you lost 63% of your minutes from a season ago, 74% of scoring, 64% of rebounding, and 76% of three-pointers made. So across the board, you have a ton of production that you need to replicate. And what's interesting about that is that it's not as though, even though they won the national championship, statistically throughout the season, there wasn't really one thing that Kansas was elite at. They weren't an elite three-point shooting team. They weren't an elite rebounding team. They weren't 
one of the highest scoring teams in college basketball. They were really good in transition and they played really, really, really good basketball in the month of March. But there's not something that you look and say, okay, well, that was their calling card. How is this team going to be able to replicate that? Statistically, I think there's a chance throughout this regular season that Kansas could be better than they were a season ago, but that doesn't mean they're going to be the same sort of team they were in the postseason. There's a lot of things that go into that, so let's get into it a little bit. There have been four teams under Bill Self at Kansas that returned less minutes and less scoring from the previous year. Those four teams would have been 2014 with Wiggins and Embiid, 2012 with Thomas Robinson, national runner-up, 2009, the year after the title, and 2006, the year after Simeon, Langford, and Miles left. So those are the only four teams that returned less minutes and scoring from the year before than this team in 2023. That's four teams in 20 seasons. So this is going to be one of the least experienced teams that Bill Self's had in his time at Kansas. Three of those teams got bounced in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, and one went to the national championship game. So a wide range of outcomes. How will this year's team fare? First off, they will not look like a well-oiled machine this year. I expect it to be clunky. I expect it to be ugly, especially early on. And that's not even including the fact that Bill Self won't be there for the first four regular season games. There are so many question marks about this team. Like, what are the knowns? What are the things you know they're going to do well? It'd be much easier to list those than it would be to list all of the things that you have questions about because that's a long list. How are they going to score? Who's going to be the starting big man? How are Jalen and Dewan going to do in leadership roles? What's Kevin McCuller going to look like in an increased role? How are all these freshmen going to do? How much are you going to ask of Grady Dick and MJ Rice and Ernest Uday? Which of the role players are going to step up in your... Like, there are a million questions that you have to ask, and some of those will be answered. I'm not, I'm not prepositioning this as if all of those are going to remain questions all year, but I think oftentimes the mark of a good team is you have these questions at the beginning of the year. How many of them do you have answered by the end of the year? If you only have two or three big questions, then it's easier to answer them, whereas this Kansas team has a lot of questions. This is going to be one of those years where they may take some lumps early. You may look at them against Duke and say, okay, well, you're going to need to fix that by the end of the year. And listen, Duke has their own issues. I'm not sure how good that team's going to be. So that may just be an ugly game. But it's a young team with a lot of guys being asked to do things they haven't done before in their basketball careers. I do not expect this to look anything except for sloppy for the first couple months of the season. Part two of that is that they're still going to win a bunch of games. This is still going to be a team that is going to be at or near the top of the Big 12. They won the Big 12 every single year, even those years in 2014 or 2006 or 2012 where it wasn't the best team that they've had because that's sort of the the floor for Bill Self. Really good coach. They're going to scheme things up and, and devise ways to get wins on the road, to win those games on Big Monday where you're not at your best. They win the Big 12. They are never worse than a four seed. There's your floor for this Kansas team. But those are the guarantees, right? Those are the, okay, we know that's going to happen. What are the negotiables? What are the questions that will determine if this is just another good Kansas team versus a team that can play deep into March, a team that looks like a national championship caliber team? The first non-negotiable, the first thing that has to happen for this to be another championship final four caliber team, Jalen Wilson has to be a star. Right, You can't just see him take a nice little step to being a 14-point score. He needs to be 
a 15, 16 point a game guy who can lead Kansas game in, game out, consistently production. The leadership aspect of this is important, but you need production. And maybe Grady Dick or one of these guys comes in and, and can be an immediate contributor. That needs to happen. But Jalen has to be a star. I don't think this is going to be one of those years where you got three or four guys all averaging around 13, 14 points per game. You need to have a calling card offensively. And with the question marks that you have down low, Jalen, as a returner, as a senior, is best suited to do that. You go back and look at the way he finished the year, the last three months, really, or the last two and a half months, if you count April. He was averaging about 13 and seven, 14 and seven. And we saw an uptick in the shooting, but that was when he was basically the third or fourth option on the court at all times, right? You knew what Ochai was going to do. You knew that Christian Brown was the Robin to his Batman. And you knew that Dave was still going to get touches down low. You throw in the fact that Remy came alive in March. Jalen was never the guy they were running offense through. He was sort of that, okay, we're going to do this little dribble weave at the top of the key. Nobody's getting a look. All right, Jalen, take the ball, get downhill, either get fouled or score at the rim. He was really good at that because he is somewhat of a mismatch. He's a tweener where he can take advantage of smaller defenders. He can get by bigger ones. What about now when you're running the offense through him? What about now when he's the focal point of what you're trying to do? That becomes a little bit more difficult. And now you know the defenses are going to game plan for Jalen Wilson, whereas he was the guy they were willing to live with. I think the big thing for him is going to be, can you start to stretch the floor offensively? Can you become a 37% shooter instead of a 30% shooter? He's had moments where he can can get hot from three, but I think he needs to take a massive step in his outside shooting game for this offense to not just be an okay offense, a good offense at times, to being one of the top 15, 20 offenses in the country. The second part of this is one of the big guys needs to stand out above the rest. Depth is great. It's really nice when you say you have three or four guys that you feel comfortable playing, but you need one guy who can consistently give you 20 solid minutes a night. If you're getting into conference play and you still haven't figured out that rotation and maybe one game it's KJ, one game it's Zach, one game it's Ernest Uday, and you're in February and you don't know who your guy is, that's a problem. You want to be able to have a couple of those guys you can play But go back over the years, it's tried and true. Bill Self wants a guy who can give him 20-plus minutes. He wants a guy who can execute the offense and be a rim protector on defense, do the hustle plays, do the dirty work down low, get rebounds, push and transition. That stuff is pretty universal. That's the kind of thing he wants every single year from his big guy. I don't care who it is. It could be KJ, even though he doesn't look like a a typical five. Zach showed bursts of it last year. Ernest Uday is the highest-rated of the big guys in this class. doesn't really matter who it is. Someone needs to emerge. Go back to 2017, I believe it was, maybe it's 2016, when um, there was this sort of transition, I think it was 2016, throughout the year, where they didn't know who the big guy was going to be. And at one point, Bill Self just sat down the four other players and said, hey, who do you want? And they all to a man said, we want Landon Lucas. They rode with Landon the rest of the way, and Landon started playing some of his best basketball the team started playing some of their best basketball. You don't want this revolving door at that five spot. You want to know what he's going to do, play in and play out. You need the reps together as a rotation. And we know in March, you're going to have about a six-man rotation, seven if you get into foul trouble. That big guy is going to be asked to play even more. You don't want that person to be someone who's just getting settled into their role. You want that to have been established months before. 
That to me is the second biggest thing. And the third thing that has to happen if Kansas is going to be a national championship caliber team, you need a standout season from one of your freshmen. KU hasn't had a freshman average more than five points per game since Devon Dotson in 2019. Now, Quentin Grimes also averaged eight that year, but as you remember, that was not a good season. But also, it was based off expectations. You were relying upon that team to have big seasons from their freshmen. Before Dotson in 19, it was Josh Jackson back in 2017 that had a really impressive season. So that's two guys in six years that have come in, hit the ground running, and looked really impressive as a freshman. I think you need two this year. You've got four dudes in this recruiting class, according to 24-7, all of whom are ranked in the top 60. Grady Dick's about 20, and you got Uday and MJ Rice both around 30. It would be helpful if one of those big guys is one of these. Uh, Not necessarily because I don't believe in Zach Clemens, but because I feel like that's high potential. I mean, Ernest Uday, watch him play. The ceiling is there. If he can be a rim runner, shot blocker, finisher in transition, that will be a huge boon for this team that you know is going to want to push the tempo. I think Grady Dick is probably best suited to be one of them simply because Bill Self has sort of praised him already. Sounds like he's ready to play. He'll probably be a starter for this team and he can stretch the floor offensively. I think he is best suited to hit the ground running and just be a scorer. And sometimes we oversimplify what you want to see from certain players, especially freshmen, right? You don't ask the world of them. Just do one thing well. You want to see him play defense. You want to see him execute the offense. If Grady Dick can come in and be a 38 to 40% three-point shooter, that's a role that that needs filling on this team because I don't know where else the shooting's coming from. This guy seemingly doesn't have a conscience, and this guy is maybe the best shooter in this freshman class in the nation. If he can come in and immediately just provide help from shooting on the outside, he can take six or seven a game like that is being a standout freshman, not averaging six or seven points per game and having the flashes, but then having a four game stretch where you can't score and you look invisible on the court, but consistently being a 10, 11, 12 point score, right? Being one of the top 10 to 15 players in the big 12. That is what this team needs because you can't have a season where you don't have that because I'm looking at the rotation here. If you just, let's just imagine that the, the starting five is going to be Dewan, uh, Kevin McCuller, Grady Dick, Jalen Wilson, and for argument's sake, let's say Zach Clements. All right, coming off the bench, who are you going to next? Is it KJ Adams? Is it Ernest Uday? Is it MJ Rice? Or is it Joe Yesifu? No matter how you shake it out, if you're looking at a seven, eight, nine man rotation, you're playing at least three freshmen. You can't afford to have three of the eight guys in your rotation to look like freshmen, right? You can have them have moments. You can have one of them look like a freshman, But if you want to be a national championship caliber team, you can't have three of your eight men looking like they're not quite ready to play college basketball at the highest level. You can do that and win a Big 12. You can do that and win a bunch of regular season games. You can't have that and expect to compete for a national championship. All right, Kansas football returns after the bye. Four games left on the season. And a week ago, I would have told you that Oklahoma State was probably uh, the game you were least likely to have a chance to win. But... How much can change in a week? Spencer Sanders went out. Gunnar Gundy, the backup quarterback, came in and uh, looked like a backup quarterback. Maybe looked like a third-string quarterback. Uh, That was not good. And with the week off, there is maybe an added level of optimism that Jalen Daniels could come back. As of the recording of this, 
The line in this game is one and a half. Oklahoma State is favored. Now, you could maybe just say that that's because there's a chance Spencer Sanders won't play. I think the books are kind of hedging here because if, let's just say this won't happen. If Jalen Daniels comes back and plays in this game, it won't be until like right before the game when it's announced or maybe just when the game starts. But if Lance Lapple came out on Thursday or Friday and said Jalen Daniels is starting and playing in this game, I actually think this would move to a pick if not Kansas being a slight favorite. I mean, think about the massive swing of losing a Heisman candidate, candidate quarterback for Oklahoma State and Kansas getting one back. We've seen the gap between Jalen Daniels and Bean. We've seen the gap between Spencer Sanders and Gunnar Gundy. It's a massive swing in KU's direction. Now, I don't know if, if Jalen will play. It's my understanding that this is mostly a, a pain management and effectiveness. Like, I, I, think, I think he could probably come back and play, and you wouldn't have to worry about long-term ramifications about coming back too early. But it's how painful is it going to be for you to come back and play rehabbing a separated shoulder? And how effective are you going to be? You got to remember, this is a separated shoulder in his throwing shoulder. So even if he could come back, manage the pain, if he's a tough son of a bitch and just wants to go through it, how effective are you going to be? Are you 70% of your normal self? Is 70% of Jalen actually better than Jason being fully healthy? I do think, regardless of what happens for KU, if Gunnar Gundy is the starting quarterback for Oklahoma State, there's still reason to believe that Kansas can win this football game. The ugliest game they've been in was Baylor. They still only lost by 12 points. There hasn't been one game where they looked like Kansas of old. There hasn't been one game where they just got an ab- absolutely blown out of the building and looked like they didn't belong on the same field with the other team. I'm still waiting for that to happen. So if you have a backup quarterback on a team that's really been propelled by their quarterback and there's such a massive gap between one from the next, it's it's it really is similar to Kansas, even though I think Oklahoma State's a more talented team. It's similar to Kansas in that you, you're, you're winning because of your quarterback, except there is a bigger gap between Sanders and Gundy than there is between Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean. Maybe that just speaks to the system that Kansas is running. Maybe it just speaks to the quality of quarterbacks. Like Bean hasn't been great, but if Bean were the starting quarterback all season, I think you would still look at him and say, well, it's an upgrade over what we've seen for much of the last 15 years at Kansas. The reason why Bean has not looked impressive is because the guy who he's filling in for was looking like one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So even if it's Bean versus Gundy, I still have a ton of faith that Kansas is going to be able to stay in this game. And I still do think maybe not this week, but one of these games, like Bean's going to have a game where he goes three touchdowns and no interceptions. Or he'll have a game where all of a sudden he looks more comfortable running the ball and he runs for 80, 90 yards and a rushing touchdown. Like one of those games is coming in these last four. And as Kansas sits here at five and three with four to play, they're going to win one of these last four games. I truly believe that. Now they may be underdogs in every single one of them, but it's college football. And we've seen enough from this team and we've seen enough from the rest of the Big 12 to know that There are no juggernauts. There are no big bad wolves. If TCU is the best team that KU is going to play all year, we saw what they did with two quarters of backup quarterback play from Jason Bean. If that's the best you have to offer, then I don't see why you wouldn't be optimistic that Kansas isn't going to be in positions to make plays down the stretch. That's not to say that they're going to win them, but to be in the game in the fourth quarter and to know that you'll have a drive or two where if you can execute and put points on the board, 
then you'll have a position to get another win. I don't see why you wouldn't be optimistic that that's not going to happen in these last four. And if Kansas gets to six wins, not just based off of the expectations you had before the season, but knowing that you lost your Heisman candidate quarterback halfway through, there is nothing to say about this year, but that it was a massive, massive success. So I would look at that line and, and take it as indication that Vegas may perhaps know something about this quarterback situation and how it's going to play out. If I were a betting man, I think Jalen Daniels ends up playing this weekend. And if he does, I think Kansas wins against Oklahoma State. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Appreciate you so much. Uh, we'll be back again next week with another episode of Waving the Wheat. here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, everybody, I'm Mark Shanowski, along with one of the NBA's most popular analysts, Stacey King. We're inviting you to join us on the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast. So join us every week here in the Hot Sauce studios where we'll be talking about basketball, football, MMA, entertainment, and unique viewpoints from a group of sports experts having a few brews. That's right. Listen up on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast.